We are now going to uh, turn our attention uh, to, well, this holiday. Uh, a lot of people right now, uh, millions of people are, are gearing up. They're flying by car, by plane, by bus uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. It's been a, an official holiday in the United States uh, officially since 1863, although George Washington actually uh, called for a day of Thanksgiving uh, much earlier. Uh, before we welcome our guests to put this in some context here, I would like to um, share a clip that was read. We want to thank Irene Montantis, who actually recorded this clip. Irene, an indigenous woman, she's also a part of the Poor People's Campaign here in Southern California, part of the coordinating group, as is Shannon Rivers, by the way. And let's listen to this because it gives us background on the history of where Thanksgiving came from. The Thanksgiving America celebrates on the last Thursday of November was proclaimed by Governor Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 16. 37, to honor a massacre of indigenous peoples. The governor wrote that for the next 100 years, every Thanksgiving day ordained by a governor was in honor of the bloody victory, thanking God that the battle had been won. The first Thanksgiving meal in 1621 was no fairy tale story between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag, Pequot, and Narragansett people. And in fact, in October of 1621, one year before Tisquantum, a.k.a. Squanto, died, when the pilgrim survivors of the first winter on Turtle Island, a.k.a. America, the pilgrims who had a miserable crop that year invited a native named Massasoit to their meal. Massasoit followed the indigenous tradition of equal sharing and invited many from his nation. Much of the food brought to that meal was provided by the natives as they had much more of a bountiful harvest that year. There was no turkey, no squash, no cranberry sauce or pumpkin pie. The first meal was in essence the beginning of the end. And in 1637, members of the Pequot Nation gathered to celebrate the Green Corn Festival. 700 men, women, and children from the Pequot Nation came together to celebrate, and as they were sleeping in the hours, just before the sun rose, the English pilgrims surrounded and massacred all of them, shooting and beating those that confronted them and burning the rest. After the massacre of over 700 Pequot men, women, and children, the next day... The governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony declared a day of Thanksgiving and celebrated the killing of the Pequot peoples. Pilgrims fed off the momentum of their victory and continued to slaughter indigenous men, women, and children. A second Thanksgiving feast was had after another massacre of the Pequot peoples in Stamford, Connecticut. And oh my goodness, um, really, really difficult. Um, I'd like to welcome Shannon Rivers, Native American spiritual leader living on Tongva land. He is the director of programming for the American Indian Resurgence Initiative, Native American Native Pathways uh, to College. Uh, Shannon Rivers, thank you for joining us. Margaret, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can hear you uh, quite well. You're hearing me okay, Shannon? I'm hearing yeah. you fine, Margaret. Thank you. All right. You know, Shannon, I'm, I'm not of indigenous descent. I'm of African descent. But, you know, mm -hmm. just listening to that 
uh, clip uh, that Irene uh, thankfully read, you kind of cry your way through it. And, you know, this is the kind of, of real history. This, this actually happened, that given the movement going on now in schools about so-named critical race theory, we all know it's about stories like this. Uh, not being taught in in schools. Um, So this is, uh, I I just want your reaction uh, to that actually, to the repression of that kind of history, because that clearly explains why among a lot of indigenous people, Thanksgiving, uh, which takes place tomorrow, is a day of mourning, Shannon Rivers. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah, I, you know, when I was listening to your first segment with Ms. Um, And then the, cause of her death by white supremacist. Um, this is a narrative that is uh, continuing in this country. A day of mourning, as we call uh, Thanksgiving, or is also known as Thanksgiving, um, is a day for us that is that is both with mixed emotions, because we're like most pe- people in the country. We want to join our families. We want to uh, sit down around the table and eat some good food. Um, but when you look at the history this, of this day of mourning, and, and what does mourning really mean? Uh, it, is, it is in the dictionary. It describes describes to mourn or to mourn. Mourning is the feeling of deep sorrow and even regret. Um, but deep sorrow does not explain the history of almost of over 400 years of, especially here in the United States. In Canada, the relationship between settler colonialist, white supremacist, legal documents that caused us our annihilation, starting from the Wampanoag to the Narragansett to the Pequot, um, it is very emotional day for many of us. In fact, some of us that live here in uh, Southern California and others. Uh, we'll go to activities and events that are just actually the opposite of celebrating uh, Thanksgiving Day or honoring what we call thanks but no thanks day. Um, so I will be in Alcatraz honoring the 52nd year of the taking of the island because, remember, Native people constantly are climbing up this hill of struggle. And this hill of struggle or this hill itself is laced and piled upon uh, this hill is we got to climb over this white supremacist, this narrative, this, this, this America has made around this day as a day of celebration and honoring the first contact and the first relationship with indigenous peoples. Yeah, and and Shannon, um, when you look at what has happened in these United States, the United States government has taken more than 1.5 billion acres of land uh, from Native Americans this since 1776, according to University of Georgia historian. But Shannon, also put that loss of land, the tremendous uh, loss of life that happened uh, not only in what is now called the United States, but throughout the Americas, um, north of the border of what is now called the United States, as well as south of the border. And the context of this uh, doctrine of discovery, which is uh, still in place, a lot of people don't know about it. So we like to get the word out as, as widely as we can about it. Right. Well, I'll, I'll try to, I know we only have a short time, but 
the land loss was uh, extreme. I think that that if you go to uh, any nation or any uh, any society, land is precious. And for Native people, the loss of land. I think we have maybe two percent of the United States left in our in our kind of in our hands, if you will, with reservations. But that is federal land. That is not our land. That is an agreement made by the United States government, whether it was through treaty, executive uh, uh, orders. Uh, so some of us that live on these reservations, that continue to live on these reservations, remember when your resources are taken or uh, whittled down to nothing, you're talking water, you're talking good soil, you're talking timber, you're talking hunting rights or fishing rights. You take away the livelihood of indigenous peoples. And so... So disease was a killer, but also starvation was a killer. What it was the long, the now the long, the the longest walk of the Cherokee. Um, so all of these things have um, perpetuated the constant struggle that Indigenous peoples face. When you talk about resources, if you don't have the right or proper resources to live, and you can see that today, whether it's in the inner city or urban areas, there's poverty. I think the Poor People's Campaign uh, addresses this and says there are 140 million Americans that are in poverty. Well, you know, most of them are eating crappy foods. They don't have uh, access to uh, good water or good resources. Um, so, I mean, this this is something that started with Native Americans, but even with with indigenous peoples, you see it happening within today's society. And then finally, the Johnson, the Johnson v. McIntosh case, which is which was established through the doctrine of discovery, removed the Cherokee from their land in North Carolina and certain areas. And, and you know, in 4,000 people died on that march to what is now called Indian Territory or Oklahoma. Uh, so 4,000 not only Cherokee but other indigenous peoples that were forced to leave. The East Coast and 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 walk to um, to Oklahoma were uh, essentially kicked out of their territory and lost all that. And if you look past the Mississippi or east of the Mississippi, there aren't really no reservations in that in on that side of the country. And most of them are on on this side of the Mississippi, whether it's the Navajo Nation or places in Oklahoma, North and South Dakota. Uh, so so you have this thing that is constantly hanging over our heads, uh, Ruth Gates recently ruled a few years ago that the doctrine of discovery were still they were not abrogated they were still the 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 laws of which they utilize to continue to violate indigenous people's rights you see it at, at oak flat you see it at standing rock you see it with line three uh you constantly see this violation of indigenous human rights and the right to their livelihoods um, and still use it, but the United States still use antiquated laws like the Doctrine of Discovery that are still very much in play. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you underscored those struggles. I mean, Oak Flat, the, the Apache stronghold, there is a case now awaiting a ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court uh, that's based in San Francisco related to Oak Flat, where the uh, Biden administration, the U.S. government, pretty much admitted that, yes, we took the land um, from the Apache, but you know what? We have every right to do what we want with it, including turning it over to one of the largest uh, copper mining uh, companies in the world on a site that is uh, such a sacred place. All of this, of course, um, in the context of these papal bulls um, that have gone on for so long. Um, uh, Shannon, I'll be welcoming um, uh, Colleen, uh, Yvonne, 
in just a moment about the event that I think you participated in uh, recently on Christian nationalism. It was organized by the Faith Working Group of the California Poor People's Campaign, specifically the Los Angeles uh, Poor People's Campaign. And just, I know you have to dash because you have to hit the road. And I appreciate what you said that for a lot of people, a lot of people are going to be with friends and family, okay, tomorrow. A lot of people are going to be using the opportunity to spend time um, with their loved ones that perhaps they haven't done in a while, and also to give thanks for, you know, whether it's surviving COVID or whatever people have to give thanks for. And that, and people, you know, in no way negates uh, the fact of this other history that we hope people will also uh, recognize. And looking at the 140 um a million people in the United States of recognizing that the majority, I mean, indigenous communities are the most impoverished in the Americas. And it's very hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that all of us are living basically on stolen land, on occupied land, right? Um, and But we do have to wrap our heads around it and see uh, what it all means. But uh, before uh, Colleen uh, comes on, I, I wonder if you just want to give us some final thoughts and, and anything you might have, too, about the relationship of this kind of Christian nationalism with what has, all of, of what we've been talking about, Shannon? Sure. Um, uh, the, the final thing that I'll say is that, yeah, we are giving thanks, but I think indigenous peoples, the way we see it, we give thanks for the plants and the animals and the land. And, and, and it goes to climate change and it goes to the white nationalist story, their narrative that they constantly build. Uh, which is based on capitalism and greed. Uh, indigenous peoples don't see that. And, and white nationalism uh, has, has destroyed every aspect of America, meaning that they have a narrative that they push that, that America is such a great country. America is not a great country. We are, I believe, uh, you know, I mean, it's a great land. It's a beautiful land to me. It's my, it's my territory. We are on, you know, we live on stolen land. You live on stolen land. Those that you are not from here. But the reality is, is that we constantly, America has amnesia, and they constantly push a story that is false. And if we don't teach our children, we are doomed to repeat those wrongs of the past. And we constantly see that within this country. And I think there's also something that we need to talk about is white uh, nationalism and fragility, white fragility. And that has to do with, uh, we, you're not going to replace us. You're not going to replace our story. You're not going to replace something that we believe is so great. And it wasn't. It was based on greed, murder, and genocide, and the theft of our land. But indigenous peoples thrive. We are still here, and we are successful in many, many ways, in many levels. We are artists. We are doctors. We are lawyers. We are uh, writers. We are filmmakers. Uh, and it's amazing that um, that that you know I can uh, meet people like you and see people like you and have you in my circle. And I appreciate listeners of KPFK. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Shannon Rivers. All the best in your journey uh, to Alcatraz and, and certainly uh, those of our listeners who are praying people will recall what you have said to also be thankful for what gives us life, the earth itself and all of uh, the, the plants and the animals. Um, and we're also animals. We're part of nature. People kind of forget that and look to have an entirely different relationship with the soil and with the whole of nature. Thank you, Shannon Rivers. Safe travels to you. Thank you, Margaret.